Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monster Soundwave, an unofficial D&D podcast. My name is Robert Snow. With me tonight, as always, is Evan Barton. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. And also Joe McElroy. Good evening. And uh, we're taking a little bit of our bra- a break from our class breakdown because there's some news and i thought that it made sense for us to kind of go over some of what were some of our favorite things from this past year from 2021 and what are what we're looking forward to in 2022 and also some of our predictions for 2022 but first uh we've got some insider information here on uh mordekainen presents monsters of the multiverse and uh i would say that the information that's come out is not super thrilling to me so it collects most of the player races from the game however it very specifically does not include any of the races in the php and then it's a little weird. It has decided to leave out some things and keep in other things. Um, so uh, I'll just read off these races. Aarakocra, Asimir, Bugbear, Centaur, Changeling, Deep Known, Deep Gnome, uh, Drogar, Aladrin, Fairy, Furball, Genasi, all four of the different elements, Githyanki, Gizari, Goblin, Goliath, Herongon, Hobgoblin, Kenku, Cobalt, Lizard Folk, Minotaur, Oak, Orc, not Oak, although a tree person would be good. Satyr, Sea Elf, Shatterkai, Shifter, Tabaxi, Tortle, Triton, and Yonti. Um, some of the things that were left out are basically all of the stuff from, uh, from Ravnica. So Loxodon, Simic Hybrid, Vidalkin, not there. Um, interestingly, some things uh, from Theros are not there. There's still the Seder and the Centaur, but the Leonin, or Leonin, I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, is not included. Um, so just a little, a little strange, like how they're doing it. it if this was like a full compendium for all the D&D stuff, I would just say like, let's, let's get all of that stuff in there. Um, but that is what it is. That's not super disturbing to me. Uh, guys, what do you think about that list of uh, player races being in there? I mean, it's kind of hard for me to give any kind of opinion on it until I have the book in my hands. That's, I mean, I, I guess I kind of kind of a man reaction to it overall, but you know, as always, I preserve final judgment until I actually have the book in hand, or you know, you know, or a file on computer, as the case may be. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I I can't, I don't, I'm really kind of, I guess you know, it's going to be deferring an opinion until it actually comes out or until I actually see it. So yeah, I'm kind of in the same mindset as evan where at least of the ones that you've read off where it feels like i'm curious at what they would have rewritten for more kind of minions of the multiverse and all that 
covers more of these races beyond just, oh, hey, they were already in some other book. We didn't make any changes other than consolidating them here. Yeah, but well, why not include all of the optional races then at that point? Right. That That's my biggest thing. It's just like, why not kick the other five races that you left out? Like, just put them in there. Like, um, also missing is the Owlin from Strixhaven. Uh, it's another one that for some reason didn't make the cut. Um, so, and I don't know if that was a recency thing or something like that. We'll, we'll just have to see. That would be my assumption, at least just because of how close, uh, because considering that the, the book was being released as part of that gift set before the, uh, may release for when it'll come out on its own. It was probably just like, Hey, we got to get this all to print, make sure everything's in that we want it to be. Also notably, none of the races from their previous unearthed arcana, um, which were, I, th- I think it was called like heroes of the plains or like, um, something like that. None of those races are in here. No griffs, no thrycreen, none of the, the no plasmoids. Yeah. So, so none of the ones from that on earth, Darkana and are in here, which probably means that they're coming somewhere later. Um, guys, maybe, you know, this, maybe you don't, but I just want you to take a guess. How many new monsters do you think are in monsters of the multiverse? I'm going to guess a big old goose egg. I was going to guess probably about maybe 50 if the total is still correct that they're still being about uh, 250 monsters in there. Evan, you are much closer. The total is one. The Dolphin Delighter is the one new monster in the book that is not uh, found in any of the other books. And all of the other monsters are were previously printed in either Mordenkind's Tome of Foes or Volo's Guide to Monsters. There were some uh, specific ones that were not uh, in there. Mordenkind and Tome of Foes, the only creature not in there is the Abyssal Wretch, uh, which was something that would be created by a different monster. Uh, so it wasn't even like its own entry. Um, it was just something that another creature could create. And then from Volo's Guide to Monsters, the ones that are not in there are the Mind Flare Lich, the Mind Flare Scion, the Orc Blade of Il Neville, yeah, the Orc Claw of Luthic, the Orc Hand of Yurtus, the Orc Nurtured One of Yurtus, the Orc Red Fang of Shargas, and then Exvart Speaker. Um, and Yonti Malison types four and five, which were just variants uh, within there. So mm. only a couple are left out. Like when you think about it, I mean, it basically has all of Morton Cannon's Tome of Foes and a lot of Volo's Guide to Monsters. What got cut was the entire lore sections that are covered in the first half of those two books. Um, so that's what has basically. Uh, not disappeared, but just isn't included in it. This book now is so much less appealing to me because it is literally a reprint. It's just, yeah. in my mind, this is like a massive errata uh, 
for the monsters and and maybe some things are rebalanced and stuff but as somebody who owns those other books like i just cannot see like how this fits into like anything that i need at this point so what do you guys think like it are you still intrigued by the new stat blocks by some of the changes or or are you guys going to pass on this one i mean I imagine at some point I'll check out to see what the stat block changes are, but mostly, I mean, I'm, I'll put it this way, I am as enthralled now as I was when I first heard about it, which is to say, not terribly. We'll see. I mean, the big thing that's enthralled me is seeing how they changed up spellcasting for some of the reprints, because, I mean, to see how they reworked it. But, like, ultimately, if I mean, if I find that it's better, I'll use the new stat blocks. If I find that it's worse, I'll use the old stat blocks. So, ultimately, I mean, it's just not super appealing to me in that way. I mean, if it's a whole lot better, I'll use it. But even if it's not, I mean, there's the old stat block. So, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know, you know, it, the, the most appeal that it has to me is that it'll give us an insight into what the new edition is going to look like more than anything else. And so trying to glean that out of it, that's the biggest reason to look into it. And because we don't actually have the book yet, or at least physically, um, unless you buy the whole set, which, you know, I'm not paying $150. I'm not that bloody curious. Um, it's it's kind of hard to say. So, you know, I'll wait till when does it come out? Uh, Snow May, I think. Yeah, I think it comes out like May. as its own book in May. Yep. Yeah, I'm perfectly willing to wait three months and then you know just decide. Then like I don't even know that I'm gonna buy it now. So you know, I'll decide then. You know, by then there'll be more previews. I'll have a better <clears throat> excuse me, have a better idea of what it looks like. So, uh, for now though, eh, just kind of middlingly interested. It's kind of the boat that I'm in too is just like I'm a little disappointed in what you're saying about the reveal of the book and all because I was really hoping that it's like hey it's not just a big old reprint of everything and just hey we're cleaning up the stat blocks and how they look for ease of use. If it's just that it's kind of a little disappointing but until actually kind of flipping through the pages and taking a look at what's in there. I'll, I'll hold my judgment for till then. Yeah. It's, it's like you're watching a show that you really, really love and you sit down for a new episode of the show and it is a new episode of the show, but it's a clip show and you really like the show. So you like the clips, but it's like, I've seen all this before. I wanted a new episode. I mean, yeah, these are good clips and all, but like, eh. I want more than just the highlights of the things that I enjoy. Give me some other news. Give some new ground in addition to like, hey, we have this stuff um, that's the classics that everybody recognizes. And we've made it. We've put a new fresh coat of paint on it. The, The other thing I would warn people off of is. It doesn't have any of the lore except for what comes in the stat blocks. So the first 50 pages of Mordenkainen, the first 100 pages of Olo's Guide to Monsters, like all the lore that's contained in there is not present in in Monsters of the Multiverse. So if you're somebody who is new to D&D and doesn't know much about the lore of some of these monsters or different things like that, I, it seems like a weird, you know, pull. If you're just like, hey, I want to own as many stat blocks as possible. Yes, this is 
the cheaper avenue to get more stat blocks in one book, but it, it it's hard for me to figure out who this book is for, like except for the like. But if you want to own as many stat blocks as possible, you probably already own all the other stat blo- books that have the stat blocks. Right, exactly. So it's it's an interesting choice. Um, uh, I feel like the only other thing that's kind of a little bit of a disappointment as well is that um, considering every other book that's been released outside of the, the gift set ones is that they've all come with an alternate cover as well. And I was kind of hoping that maybe with the official release that there was going to be a different one for that, but doesn't seem to be the case either. So it's like, yeah, I mean, the, the collector in me has been wanting to keep getting all the art covers for each book that comes out. But if there's not even that and the material that's in there is stuff that I already own, it's I feel like I can put my money to something a little bit better. Right. I I would agree. Uh, it's a it's a hard sell for me. Um, Either way, I'm, yeah, still, I'm still we'll have to flip through the pages to actually see what's in there first, because it might be easier to work with. Sure, I'm. I'm definitely going to go to my friendly local gaming store when it releases. I'm going to look. I'm going to flip through the pages, see what it has, and uh, you know, if it if it seems much simpler to navigate, then maybe I'll jump in. But right now, I just can't see myself picking this up. I feel like it was. I feel like the gift set was like the goal of this, you know, and. And I will say this as part of the gift set, like if you got somebody the first gift set of like the PHP, the MM and the DMG, and then later wanted to get them this, they basically have all the books they need because this, this is packaged in with Tasha's and Xanathar's. I mean, they, they basically then have most of the splat books that are out there, you know, with, with a few exceptions and, kind of gets weird on like well, what is a splat book but so i see that i see that as like a really nice package deal but man as a standalone book if you've already got Mordenkainen's and volos this book just it doesn't make any sense yeah like, um okay that was kind of a depressing topic let's <laughs> move on to some more fun things this past year uh wizards of the coast released five books they released uh candlekeep mysteries they released van richten's guide to ravenloft they released uh the wild beyond the Witchlight, which was an adventure set in the feywild they also released uh fizzvan's guide to dragons a monster book all about dragons and then they released uh a new campaign slash adventure setting, which is becoming kind of a new thing that they're doing, which was Strixhaven, a curriculum of chaos. Uh, so I thought we could just, people could just talk about if they had a favorite book from this past year or something that they liked the most this past year, or if there were any books that didn't hit as hard for them. Um, so Joe, why don't you go first? Just pick one of the books that you thought was great and tell us why you loved it. I personally really liked Candlekeep, and that was primarily because I had recently been playing through Baldur's Gate again. Not Baldur's Gate 3, but the original uh, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. 
So just anything going back to Candlekeep was very pleasant to me. And the stories, while they weren't like amazing each chapter and all, but they had nice little things to them that made me want to uh, try and run them. Yeah, I loved Candlekeep. Uh, Fizzbins as well, I would say, is probably a, a nice second to that, too. Because, I mean, who doesn't love dragons? And there is tons of mat- tons of actual new material in there compared to just some stuff that doesn't really fit, I'd say. Or not, it goes um, against... Oh, I'm trying to... I'm losing my words of what I'm trying to say here. Well, let's just uh, stick with Candlekeep for a second. Uh, Evan, did you get Candlekeep? Uh, I did not, actually. Oh. I've been meaning to, though, and I will probably pick it up at some point. Um, it's just one of those that kind of uh, fell through the crap cracks for me, but it's one I'm interested in, at least. Um, Candle- yeah, it's Candlekeep is very interesting. I think it's one of my favorite things as a DM because it is 20 disconnected for the most part adventures all set around Candlekeep library uh think like library of alexandria type place like a a library that is an entire city type deal um and they have an adventure for i think every level one through 20 uh which i think is a really cool thing and they can all be run as a one shot so it's it's a great way to say like hey like i don't know what i'm doing this week or like the party just kind of wrapped up this storyline and I need something to like spark them to go forward. You can pick whatever level they're at, run that adventure in Candlekeep, and then um you know then they can move on to either the next campaign or the next part of a campaign. Um and uh they did say in their like spectacular or whatever they called it back in September that there would be more anthology style uh advent adventure books like Candlekeep Mystery. So I'm definitely keeping my eyes out for that. Uh, Evan, did you have a favorite book uh, that was released this past year? I did. Uh, my favorite was, to the surprise of absolutely no one, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Um, Ravenloft is my favorite setting. I really like this take on it. Um, really like the updates to the settings. Um, I really liked what they did with some of them. Um, some of them I felt weren't as strong as some of the others, but overall really liked it. Really loved some of the new monsters, some of the, a lot of the class options. I thought it was really strong overall. Um, so yeah, I think it was, again, you know, this is personal bias and, you know, that's my favorite setting, definitely, but I really enjoyed it. Also, not to ruffle any more feathers, but none of the race options from... Ben Rickens' Guide to Ravenloft mm-hmm. are included in Monsters of the Multiverse. So, Indeed. Uh, again, just seems weird how they decided on what went in there and what didn't, but it, it is what it is. Uh, I I assume that I love Van Richten's, and I have Van Richten's on my shelf, but uh, because I was in a Curse of Strahd game, I promised that I would not read through the book <laughs> until we were done. And what by the time are? that we were done, there were like four other books out, mm-hmm. uh, well, three other books out uh, that I was cranking through. So um, I got to go back and read that one and kind of see what it's all about. But uh, I think I think maybe my favorite. I really liked Candlekeep. I'm sure I will like Van Richten's. I enjoyed Fizzvans. 
but I think the book that I ended up liking the most this past year was the wild beyond the Witchlight. Um, mm-hmm. as an adventure, it has a lot of neat options. Um, I don't think that running a completely non-combat run through that book would be easy for a party unless the party had decided that they wanted to play on like ultra hard mode and figure out how to not get into any combats. Um, but I love that that is at least an option that they can, you know, uh, that they can traverse the entire story without, um, you know, swinging swords. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't need that for my D&D game. I'm happy to cast Fireball. Um, but I think that it is a neat option, and I think that it shows that the Wizards of the Coast team is getting more and more creative with what they're doing, um, with their writing, with their adventures. Um, and even though the Feywild is somewhere that we've been before, the Witchlight Carnival felt very much like a new thing. Uh, and again, it's another one of those things where you can drop the Witchlight Carnival kind of anywhere that you want to drop it uh, to transition into kind of a Feywild adventure. So, um, you know, if you're starting a party out and they go on some, you know, kill the goblins quests and you're trying to figure out, like, do they want to play? Do they enjoy this? You know, then you know, level two, you can drop the Witch Lake Carnival in and they can go on this fun adventure through the Feywild. So I think that's my pick for this year, but I would say that it was a very strong year uh, with Strixhaven being the weakest book in on my list. However, I still really appreciated some of the mechanics that came out in that, especially with the NPCs and the rivals and beloved and friends stuff uh, in there. So I thought that there was still good, good content in there. Uh, Were there any books from last year that you guys really didn't enjoy or like? Hmm. I'd put Strixhaven probably at the bottom of the list of the books that I read. And Fizban I would put up there like with Joe probably at number two. Um, And, you know, again, Strixhaven, you know, it's not extreme dislike. It's just, Mostly, as we mentioned before, just a lot of uh, not being super impressed with a lot of stuff. But I don't yeah, think there was yeah. anything that I hated or disliked necessarily. Sure. Same here. Like, while Strixhaven, is, like, it's not high on my list. I liked, like you mentioned, the NPC roster that they had. If they continue that stuff, I would absolutely love that in more books. Because that gives so much more, you know, like life to your settings or just even drop in kind of things. That's probably the strongest thing out of Strixhaven. The rest of it, it's just my only disagreement is, is that I don't feel like this is the kind of game that I want to run, nor yeah, really exactly. have players that would want to run in it. Right. right. So, yeah, that's pretty much my thing. Other than that, um, only downside of the other books is just like I've. I haven't read all the way through like Van Richten's, but I primarily bought it because, hey, yes, Ravenloft is great for a campaign setting. Thank you, Evan. And but primarily that just I love the alternate cover art of it. That that is good shelf presence and mm-hmm. anything to give more horror kind of elements into D and D is always good. 
Yeah, so you were talking about Strixhaven about the NPC thing. You know what book could have really benefited from that? Out of the Abyss. Uh, oh my god. There are so many NPCs for the DM to run in that in that book, and I feel like that book could have really used like something like we got in Strixhaven. And if they I think that if they released like a like a DM's companion to Out of the Abyss, I would totally take that. Like, yeah. Or even if they release some kind of like NPC codex, I know they've had stuff like yeah. that in previous editions. Like, I think that if they released an NPC codex that had all of the different NPCs from, I mean, they've got what, like eight or nine published adventures in fifth edition, if yeah. not more. I mean, I think that they I, have some of that on the DMs guild. I'm pretty sure they have some of that for, uh, yeah. yeah. Abyss. Right. I'm just saying like, if they put together like a hardback book of that, right. I, I would not be mad. And I, right. that's the type of thing that it's like, Oh, you've like dramatically updated Instead right. of like trying to remember, like, oh, where's the paragraph about that dwarf? Like, oh, I have to go back to chapter yeah. one. Like, what? Where was her community? Oh, okay. Like, you know, to just be able to have that, like, and open up to the out of the abyss section and be like, oh, right, here's like the twelve or eighteen NPCs or thirty NPCs in that adventure, particularly. Like, I think there there's some benefit to that. Um, but talking about things that we want in D&D, let's talk about this year. Our first book that is, I mean, Monsters of the Multiverse is weird because it's technically our first book, but it's also kind of our second book. Um, but the next book that is coming out is Call of the Netherdeep, which is set in a critical role universe based on Campaign 2. Um, so... That is something that we're getting, I believe, March 15th. Uh, so that's kind of exciting. Seems like it's set in... One of the things that I enjoy about Critical Role is they're not afraid to kind of mix things up, and this seems very much like it's going to be, hey, like you're going to Orc Cities and you're going to uh, Knoll Cities and stuff like that. And, oh, like these drow are more civilized and less xenophobic in in this area. Um, but it also seems like it's going to dive us into uh, the the abyss, which is one of the planes of existence. Um, so I think uh, I think I'm getting more and more excited for this book. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm I'm actually pretty excited about that. Are you guys with what you're seeing out there? Are you guys getting excited about this? Or are you kind of like eh, it's like critical role stuff? I don't need to. I've been listening to, or had again, I know I've mentioned it before that I've only just started listening through campaign one of critical role and I've, I've been enjoying it, getting a sense of the world and everything, but it's still, I'm not in it just yet, but anything that gives some more lore or things that can be used for different races and things like that within any kind of settings not just like hey this is specific to here is definitely very welcoming to me and i'm definitely curious to see like um considering my current party is dealing with avernus and dealing with a little bit of the abyss as well 
I'm definitely curious to see what kind of things that um, the Critical Role book would be able to bring to the table with that. Evan, your thoughts on that book? Like, in- I don't know a whole lot about the setting in general. Like, I don't, I haven't seen like I've seen a few episodes of the show. You know, a little bit about the characters, and so um, when it comes to the world, you know, I know less about that world than I knew about like say Faerun or uh, Eberron. Um, so, but, you know, um, I'll take a look at the adventure and, you know, judge it on its merits. You know, I think it sounds cool at least. So, um, we'll see. Yeah. Um, we're getting pretty close to the release date. Haven't seen, um, an alt cover for it yet. Uh, but I'm hoping that there will be one. Um, I think it would be a tragedy if they went away from, Mm. from alt covers, which if Monsters of the Multiverse didn't get one, maybe this one doesn't get one that. So I don't think the first one for Critical Role book uh, had one though. The critical Role books did did not have alt covers previously, so um, we'll just have to see. Uh, you know if if this one gets one, but so so we know Realm of the Nether Deep March fifteenth, Monsters of the Multiverse in May. Um, here are the things that they said were coming in twenty twenty two. Um, at their September Spectacular. Uh, two classic campaign-setting books in 2022, and a hint at a third one. Uh, and then at least one more adventure anthology a la Candlekeep Mysteries. Um, they also said that they're working on two all-new settings. They did not give dates for those, so I'm wondering if those may slip into 2023. Um, and they also said another classic campaign setting is coming in 2023. So we've got some different things here. This past year, they released five books, um, which is the most that they've ever released in one year uh, in fifth edition. Because back in the day, man, in 3.5 and oh fourth God, edition, they, they were busting out a book every two months, you know, yeah. one month. You know, it was it was a little overwhelming. Um but I think that that speaks to the quality of fifth edition is that, you know, the worst thing that we said was Harry Potter and the Strixhaven mages wasn't our favorite setting. Yep. You know, if that's the worst thing that gets printed uh, in a year with five books, I think that's a pretty solid year for them. And so I think that, you know, hopefully what this means is that we're going to see some really fun stuff um, coming out. But I wanted to pick your guys' brains. Uh, so we know two of the books that are coming. We know two classic campaign setting books are coming. And then maybe one more book, possibly an adventure anthology. They didn't say it's only going to be five books. There might be six books coming this year. Um, so I wanted to pick your guys' brains, get some ideas of what you thought might be coming out this year. Um, and, and we'll dip into next year also, because 2023 is going to be kind of our last year before the reset. That's what I'm calling it. It could be 5.5 edition, 6th edition, 50th anniversary edition. Who knows what they're going to call it. But in 2024, they're redoing the player's handbook and other stuff or updating them. So we'll, we'll see what that means. But um, let's talk through kind of what our hopes are before 5th edition gets, you know, that major upgrade um so uh have you guys uh 
thought about what classic campaign setting books you think might be coming uh, this year? Uh, I'll venture the first guess. I think I think probably we're going to see Planescape is a pretty safe guess. Yep. And it, what are some of your what's some of your reasoning behind that, Evan? Uh, just in some of the Unearthed Arcana they've released. Looking at races like Thrycreen and the Flasmoid and things like that, and um, and you know they've teased it before, and I think we're gonna see um maybe a return to uh Sigil or something like that. I think that would be really cool. Um, I don't know. I just you know going with what I think and you know what I want. I think that would be pretty awesome. Um, you know that giant. The do- you know the giant donut city, all the different races and cultures kind of all intermingling. I think that would be pretty cool. So um, I think we might see that. That's just my first guess. My guess would probably be in the same boat that at least at least one of those two to three campaign setting books that are coming out is probably going to be Planescape. At least it seems like the strongest. The other two possible things that I could think of would be like either Spelljammer or maybe Greyhawk. Because those are two also classic loved settings by people. Like, I know myself, Spelljammer has got a nice little place in my heart as well for uh, just, yeah, it's a D&D in space, but who doesn't want to fly a giant illithid spaceship through the stars, you know? Yeah, so you guys have mentioned two very popular guesses, uh, like when we're looking at like things like Reddit and um, even Forbes had an article up on like their predictions of the D and D books, which I thought was hilarious. Um, Evan, can you just briefly describe what Planescape is, and then after that, Joe, do you want to tell our listeners what like the basics of Spelljammer is? Um, yep. Before we move on. So go ahead, Evan. Oh, boy. Uh, Planescape is... I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. I mean, it's kind of a setting that encompasses all the various planes of D&D. Um, and it kind of centers on the city of Sigil, which is located at the center of it all, which, as I mentioned before, is described as the donut because... It's a city, but it's also its own kind of own little mini plane. And it's called the Donut because it stretches up and around and throughout. And so it's kind of this subjective donut in that it's kind of everywhere. And it has all these kind of districts that are tied to different planes. So there's like a district that's tied to the Abyss. And there's one that's kind of tied to like Hell. And despite that, I mean, it's there's not really, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's good and evil. But I mean, the factions that run it aren't as simple as, well, there's a good faction, there's an evil faction. They're more tied to, like, more abstract concepts. Like, you know, there's, like, the Harmonium, who is, like, all about order. And, you know, that's... But they're not necessarily good. They're more just kind of lawful. I mean, I won't go into a whole thing, but, I mean, it's... um, And the, like, the whole city is run by the Lady of Pain, who is this extremely... um complicated figure and mysterious figure and it's easier to explain what the lady of pain isn't than it is to explain what she is because i mean she's not a god and 
she doesn't really rule the city as much as she keeps other people from ruling the city. Because, I mean, she doesn't really tell people what to do or how to run the city. And she kind of keeps the other gods out. I mean, it's it's fascinating. And, uh, and, and it's the whole setting is, you know, kind of this um, jumping between these, like, different points of, like, all of the planes. And it's, um, and kind of when I think of, like, Planescape, I think of, like, you know, it's, going to all these different points in the multiverse and like sigil and it's um very cosmopolitan you know as opposed to like when we think of D D being about you know like we imagine you know um good versus evil and you know high fantasy when i think of planescape i think of you know uh more uh that's a good way of putting it, more philosophical uh concepts like you know questions about you know like moral absolutism and uh trying to figure out, you know, what is the nature of things. And I'm like, and, you know, in trying to, I don't, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm kind of struggling here, but I mean, it's, it's a more complicated set, setting, certainly, but, and much more interestingly so. And I feel like sure. I'm kind of selling it short here, but I mean, it's, I mean, well, it's, I, I think it, you've it, done it, a great job of running it down for us. I mean, and it, just, I mean, and it's, I mean, yeah. again, you know, and it's all about like, cause I mean, it's because, I mean, there's the elemental planes, but there's also, you know, all the different hell planes and the abyssal planes and the upper planes and all the different beings who live there. And, you know, some of them are, you know, strongly tied to them, but some are only kind of moderately tied to them and all of them just trying to, like, get along. And so, I mean, it's, and then it's, um, I mean, it, and it's kind of, it's fascinating. And then you have, like, the Modrons who are mechanical beings. And then one of the uh, parts of Planescape is the Modron March, which is every so often um, the Modrons who represent order, they're, you know, mechanical beings, they'll get together and it's like precise like every 216 years i think they'll march and they always march in the same exact pattern and everything in their way basically gets destroyed but because it's every 216 years people have rebuilt since then and no one can ever remember the exact same way they marched and i mean it's and again you know it's just kind of one facet of it. it's just one tiny part of the setting and i mean the, the whole thing i don't want to ramble here but i mean it, and that's you know just kind of the whole thing and you know it's just kind of this it's this giant screwed up mess that shouldn't work, and maybe it doesn't, but it kind of does. And that's how I would kind of describe Sigil itself and Planescape as a whole, like kind of like an, any other city. Great. Great. All right, Joe, tell us a little bit about Spelljammer. All right. So kind of in a similar boat of Planescape is that Spelljammer is kind of a is a campaign setting that is a way that can be its own setting in and of itself or a means to connect from one plane or campaign setting to another. Effectively, the concept of this is that there are these giant crystal spheres that encompass the planetary system of like, you know, there's a sphere for Planescape itself. There's a sphere for Greyhawk. There's a sphere for the general just, you know, Faerun and all. And effectively, between each of these spheres is wild space and this ocean of material and elements uh, that basically separate these worlds because otherwise they would destroy each other just from contact. So to travel between these, uh, there are these basically spaceships in different ways and forms animalistic looking like there's the giant cephalopods or like nautilus shells that illithids would be flying around through space uh or 
the primary part of the campaign is the Spelljammer, which is a gigantic manta ray, which has effectively an enormous city uh, on its back. And this thing is moving through the cosmos effectively on its own. Um, the other unique thing about like Spelljammer is that because of these weird fantasy spaceships effectively is that, you know, you would think, oh, you're in space. Air is going to dissipate. You can't breathe in there. Well, magic and the way D&D usually is, is that there's a reason to it is that these ships effectively come with their own atmosphere. So you can run your games just within the ships itself or traveling between different like planetary bodies and or these crystal spheres themselves. There's a number of different books out uh, from D&D 2. Uh, Advanced D&D 2, which is where it was um, published during that... Planescape. Yeah. Um, they walks through d- a different number of, like, stories and, um, and yeah, just different stories and scenarios that you could run for your games. So, I want to ask a question. We know that Wizards of the Coast has been crossing over with Magic the Gathering uh a fair amount uh over the last couple of years um it's not quite one a year but they did strict saving last year uh they did uh odysseys of theros a year before and then their original not original their first one that they crossed over with was ravnica um do you think there's a chance that in these planescape or uh like spelljammer type things that we see something regarding the planeswalkers because that has become a big part of magic, the gathering lore. Um, do you think that that's something that would get blended in? Um, and maybe we see a crossover of magic, the gathering lore and traditional D and D lore, or do you think that, uh, do you think that they would keep that out? I think I can, they could probably do that in Planescape pretty easily. Yeah, Planescape would probably be the most likely book that it could work within. Um, otherwise, pretty much, if they release another campaign setting that's based on a Magic the Gathering set, that would be the other you know, obvious point to include Planeswalkers. Now, I personally don't think it's really necessary to include those kind of powerhouses within D and D, you know, it's like the general comparison of like, Oh, Hey, if this superhero from Marvel, it yeah. gets into combat with this superhero from DC, who would actually win? It, it's, it's an entirely different level of power between the things that it's hard to translate them from one to the other. Now, I'm certain there is a way and I'm definitely certain there's other things that are like out on DMs guild that has probably already brought in. Hey, you want these magic, the gathering planeswalkers? Here's some NPC cards that break them down to what their effective power level would be. Uh, and CR rating in D and D terms for what they would pull off based on their magic, the gathering origin. All right. What about you, Evan? You think that, they would do that you think wizards of the coast would would blend those two like that or do you think they'll try to keep them 
contained to their own books. I mean, I think they could, but I think Joe said, I think they're better off by not doing that for that reason. Because, I mean, you get silly things then, like, who'd win in a fight? Tiamat or Nico, Nico Bolas? Or, you know, like, hey, you know, uh, Elminster versus Chandra and things like And it, it just starts to get, like, a bit silly then of, you know, I mean, because, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, like, uh, the of, you know, um, Eberron existing alongside, uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, uh, uh, yeah, you know, of, you know, of just of any other magic of the gathering world. And you know, there's no reason why Planescape, I mean, literally the whole point, point of Planescape is, you know, and of Sigil is, I mean, it's the place where you go there to travel to literally any other place in the multiverse. And yeah. in fact, Sigil is called the plane of door or the, you know, the city of doors because you can find, you know, a door there to literally any other place in the multiverse. And like, if you want to like make a new whole, a whole, a, like a whole new homebrew world, you, that's how you can tie it in, you know, away there from sigil. Like that's the whole point of like, Oh, it's called the city of doors. So, I mean, if they wanted to do that, I mean, that's a perfect segue there. And like, it, once you're bringing planeswalkers into it, like it, it does turn silly into then, you know, like, Hey, you know, let's have Galactus fight Thanos kind of a thing where like, um, it, it we start to overshadow the uh, PCs at that point. To like an obscene degree, which um it's like, okay, you know, well, it's kind of hard for my characters to feel important when like, you know, Nico Bolas and uh Soren Markov are in this scene too, so So I don't know. I mean it, it just strikes me as unnecessary to bring like a bunch of like planeswalkers, but I mean it's we'll see. Yeah. I'm not chomping at the bit to have planeswalkers in there, but if they pull it off well, I mean, hey, yeah. more power to it. Um, all right, so we've talked about two campaign setting uh, options here. Uh, you guys also mentioned Greyhawk and Dark Sun. Um, what do you think the likelihood that we go to one of those places is? Do you think that's like Highly likely, Evan? Uh, as much as I would love to see either one of those, I'd say highly unlikely, just because I love Greyhawk. It's a fun setting. I think, like a lot of other people that started on 3rd edition, we sunk our teeth in, you know, to the, into Greyhawk with those Greyhawk deities. I mean, the you know, the first D&D deities we heard about were Paylor and Hextor and Hieronius. Those are the Greyhawk gods. I don't think we're going to see an official... Uh, I could be wrong. I don't think we're ever going to see an official... Deity source book on Greyhawk, just because as fun as Greyhawk is, there's not a whole lot to differentiate it from every other D and D medieval setting, right? Because uh, oh. I mean, like you know, gun to my head, you tell me what makes Greyhawk unique from Faerun or you know all these other settings in two sentences. I'm gonna struggle to do that. I mean, because yeah. there's a lot of cool things about Greyhawk and its history, and you know all the different fightings and. I love it as a setting. I've run campaigns there. I would love to run campaigns there again. It is still, you know, a vaguely European, vaguely Europe, uh, you know, medieval Renaissance level setting with, you know, vaguely, you know, you know, this setting is, you know, this country is, you know, basically this power, this setting, you know, or this country is basically, you know, this real world analog. And, you know, this has this kind of, you know, it's kind of Europe and, you know, um, Greyhawk is kind of like Waterdeep, and you know it's. It, I mean, it's really is generic enough to the point where it's like, the people you're gonna hook onto it are the grognards who really remember Greyhawk. 
I don't think you're going to attract a whole lot of new people to it. Yeah. And and the ones who are really into like playing Greyhawk, like me, we've done the conversion ourselves already. Like Dark Sun, I don't think we're going to see just because it's, I love Dark Sun. It might be a little too grim dark. I feel yeah. like, you know, it's, it's such a dark setting um, with, you know, so like with, you know, um, with so and then it's just so out there and it would require so many rules for like psionics and so many wonky things for fifth edition. But I don't think there's the background there for already that the book would have to be so thick that I don't just see them releasing one book and can or like encapsulating the setting. Or if they would, it would be a pretty poor book. So I feel like Dark Sun, you would need to have rules for psionics. And because, I mean, you would have to have like a scion class and you would have to have a bunch of rules for magic because magic works vastly differently in Dark Sun. So I don't see them doing that in just one book unless it's a thick book. Yeah. So for that reason, plus, again, you know, it's a very grim, dark setting. You know, it's, you know, like the races are vastly like halflings are, you know, vicious little cannibals in that setting. Elves, you know, xenophobic uh, desert tribes people. It's. And that's what makes it so interesting. But I don't, I don't see them like doing that right now. I could be wrong, but I don't see that happening. I did forget about another campaign setting that um, I know is also another fan favorite that probably lower on the list, but maybe a little higher than either Greyhawk or Dark Sun would be the Dragonlance setting. I've thought about that. Um, I would love to see another Dragonlance. And because I thought too, like, they made that giant Tiamat miniature. And part of me wonders, like, man, like, they made that giant Tiamat miniature. Like, they usually do that, like, when, like, that miniature is going to show up, like, in an adventure or something like that. And, like, yeah, there's the tyranny of dragon adventures, but, like, when is Tiamat going to show up as a boss again in an adventure? It's like, well, you know, if they do a Dragonlance thing, and that would be one one way to do it. That would be one way to do it. But, like, at the same time, um, well, Dragonlance is one of those settings where it's a like I love the setting, but it really is geared towards telling like that one story, which is I, a fantastic story. And I could I I could see them maybe redoing the setting about like the War of the Lands and like they are and to that point, Joe, they are actually releasing a new novel series in the Dragonlance setting. Interesting. I actually which, haven't. It's always been on my to read list, but I haven't actually picked it up yet. Because uh, you and one of our other friends have highly recommended the Dragonlance books. Right. So be interesting to see what new novel right. comes out for it. Yeah, it's funny because I, 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 you'd mentioned Dragonlance and like Fizban gave us uh, stats for new draconian monsters as well, or for draconians as monsters as well. So um, we could see a, dra- a Dragonlance setting book. I don't know that we'll get like a full Dragonlance campaign, but we might get like a little Dragonlance book. That would be cool. So, you know, we'll see. That's that's I would consider Dragonlance much more likely than Greyhawk or Dark Sun at this point. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about non campaign setting books. Uh, we've probably got uh, some kind of big adventure coming, I would guess. At least one adventure book is is going to come out this year. I would guess. Um, But before we dig into that, I want to ask you guys, do you think that we will get any new uh, classes or 
subclasses released this year, or do you think that maybe we won't see any this year? I don't, I'm trying. I'm a little hard pressed on trying to think of like what kind of class they may be able to bring out that isn't either already kind of covered as an archetype or yeah, an archetype for uh, the existing classes versus just like, you know, bringing out artif- uh, artificer that is wholly right. new. I, I feel like Evan, you kind of hit the nail on the head with scions. Is that like a psionic class would be probably the one thing that we've seen a lot of in the past that we haven't seen in fifth edition. Um, and they did say that they would have two classic campaign settings and another one that's hinted at. So maybe they release a book this year that has scions in it and that that is hinting at Dark Dark Sun in the future, maybe. Um, but I don't know, you know, where, where do they release that? What does that come as a part of? Yeah. You know, because I don't, I don't see them making like a solo psionics book. Like I, I feel like we're beyond that era of having yeah. like explicit source books on things, and I feel like they're not probably going to do another splat book. They just did Tasha's, and they, and they just did the release of like the three splat books together. Like it would be, it'd be kind of a jerk move for them to make it like, hey, we just did the release of the three splat books. Oh, by the way, here's another. Now, what about subclasses? We got two subclasses in fizz bands uh, at the end of last year. Got some backgrounds in both Wild Beyond the Witchlight and Strixhaven. Um, do you guys think that we'll see any subclasses come out this year? Uh, certainly, possibility of it. I mean, the campaigns are going to have backgrounds, but what about subclasses? Yeah. It. The- I kind of shrug at that one and say it depends on the campaigns, maybe, or the settings. We might see one or two in the settings. Like, hypothetically, if we got a Dragonlance book, I there'd probably be, like, you know, a uh, Wizard of High Sorcery subclass for the uh, for the Wizard, or, you know, a Knight of Salamnia subclass for the Paladin or Fighter, maybe. Slash, you know, if we got a uh, Planescape one, you know, there might be a faction agent subclass for like for whatever um for one of the classes in there or something like that so like i I would say setting or campaign specific maybe one or two for each one of the books so maybe we'll get two or three over the course of the year would be my guess but we're not going to see a glut of them would be my guess i have the feeling and i don't know if this maybe already is debunked or anything but if there's probably a book that'll release like a new subclass or anything would probably be the critical role book because they brought the what was it the the like geomancy mage oh yeah uh yeah you're right there there might be something in that but we we really don't even know what's in that book even yet and that's only right. two months away yeah so that's kind of exciting it's it's actually only like a month. It's like five oh, weeks. I was going to say, you know, we're, yeah. God, we're, we're, <laughs> we are officially more than a quarter of the way through February. So yeah, we're, we're getting close to that one. Um, so let's, let's talk about adventures. Uh, now, if there was a big adventure book that came out, uh, is there an area of Faerun that you'd be interesting, interested in seeing more of, or a type of, 
you know, maybe a previous adventure that's rewritten for this, this edition um, or something like that. Or maybe if you have an idea of what could be similar to Candlekeep with, you know, 20 mini adventures in it uh, for people. Any ideas on those? I'd have to probably guess maybe like, or what could be a nice little anthology book is adventures through different parts of Favorin. Like you could have a couple of stories that center around, um, or, um, I'm I'm forgetting what the other one is. That's kind of the deserty one. Kalimshan. That's the one. Yep. Um, because that also has like, a little bit of like fancy magic tech kind of stuff within it. That would be a little bit interesting to go through. So I've, I've got an idea for if they released an anthology book. Um, there was an old, uh, not an old previous setting uh, within Faerun called Oriental Adventures. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously you could not call it that. No, but you could I, not. Think, I think that if you wanted to set something that's still in the continent of Faerun, you could do something like Tales from Tales from the East or something like that. Um or or something along those lines and have twenty adventures set in eastern Faerun, since primarily we've still been focused on the Sword Coast. You know, ba- basically, fifth edition has not, you know, even covered really half of the continent of Faerun. If if we're looking at like the history of it, so that's one thought that I had about possibly a uh, like an adventure anthology would be like some kind of thing that tied together, um, or maybe even something like Journey to the East. I don't know, like something like that uh, would be something. That that I think that I think could be good and that people would respond well to. Yeah. The, the other setting, not setting the other like area that I would love for there to be an adventure on. I would love to see, I know we've talked about grim dark. When you look at like our books, like from, from the last, our books, like we wrote them. No. When you look at the books, the different adventures, they're all pretty dark like they're all pretty grim like um but i would love to see like a swashbuckling pulp adventure type thing you know and indiana jones like something uh i feel like we don't have enough like fun pirate setting like you know i'm thinking about things like you know like ghosts of salt marsh that was supposed to have a little bit more of that and it kind of didn't Right, Ghost of Saltmarsh was fine, but it was still kind of grim dark. Uh like and so I'd love to see like ah uh, the high seas, you know, buried treasure, uh, you know, uh beware the kraken uh type stuff. Like and just maybe a little bit brighter. Uh, you know, it it doesn't have to be full on like uh, you know, uh, everything's awful and everything sucks here. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I was going to say, it doesn't have to be like Saturday morning cartoon status necessarily, but maybe something that's a little more like Pirates of the Caribbean-y, you know, like yeah. 
a little bit lighter. There can still be skeletons, but maybe it's not like, you know, like full on, like, you know, horror setting. Um, so that's kind of like, that's something that I would love to see. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm just one guy who enjoys pirate stories. So I can respect that. I, I doing, I actually enjoy that kind of stuff as well for like three, five had um, storm rack, which was kind of that like high seas adventure and um, pirates and operating your own book kind of material in there along with a slew of different things for like environmental hazards and navigating the high seas and all that really made it interesting as kind of a setting, even though it was just a supplemental book. Right. Would be nice to bring some more of those kind of like, Hey, you have like thematic kind of books. Not everything needs to be a campaign per se, but something that kind of revolves around a specific theme. Um, You know, like how, um, Waterdeep is primarily a heist and intrigue and investigation. Right. I'd, I'd love to see something along those lines that's maybe just a little bit different than like the world is ending and you are the only people who can stop it. Yeah. Um, all right, any thoughts? Anything else that you definitely want to see in the next year and a half, two years uh, between you know now and the new release or something that you are hoping will be included in 5th edition? It could be anything from a, an adventure, a class, a subclass, anything that you guys are definitely hoping to see. Joe, we'll go ahead. We'll start with you this time. Uh, a book of actual new monsters, considering Mordenkainen's was my hope for that. Well, there you go. Evan, uh, what are you hoping to see? A book of new monsters would be nice. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to see just a book of a bunch of new spells would be cool, too. I feel like we haven't gotten just like a book uh, all about magic or something. I was kind of hoping we'd get some of that with Strixhaven, but we really didn't. Actually, so- I, do have a, I do have a thought. That would be really nice. And that would be an expansion on... Uh, the more melee or martial classes and all that, that. Nice something that gives them a little bit more than just, Hey, you get an extra feat or, Oh, you get an extra ability score increase, or here's this little thing. That's kind of specific to your subclass or your main class, but it pales in comparison to all the stuff that the casters always get. So what I'm hearing is that we need the complete divine handbook the complete arcane handbook and the chalk that up with the, uh, the, you know, the book of, uh, exalted deeds and, uh, the book of, uh, escaping me, Evan, you know, which one it is. Vile darkness. Yeah. We don't have to go that far. We, Ah, why not say we can just say that it might be nice to have expanded class tools laid out for our three favorite classes. That means, Maybe a couple more martial archetypes. I was super... Evan, I agree with you. I was so disappointed when they were like, we've got new spells in Strixhaven. It was like five spells. And it was like, this is garbage. I was... I thought... I thought we were going to get like 30 spells yeah. that mm-hmm. we were to gather. Like that was... If you go back to our prediction show, I was like, 
we're going to get 30 spells. They're all going to have names from Magic the Gathering, and they're all going to do similar things to Magic the Gathering. And then it was like uh, five spells. They're related to your school of magic, and they're all like they don't make any sense if you're not playing in this very specific setting. So I do agree with you, Evan. I would love to see more spells just in general. Like, and I know that it's a balancing act and you want to avoid power creep and all those different things. But at some point you got to say like, Hey, like magic gathering has what, like 10,000 named cards at this point. Like, let's just, let's just figure out D and D mechanics or some (laughs) of those and and pop them. There's definitely something in that barrel of, uh, content that can be easily brought into D. it's not like they have to think very hard it's like you know just just go find like yeah. you know oh here's dance the like like you don't have to name everything you don't have to find new art form just reuse yeah. the magic the gathering art reuse the names from the magic the gathering cards reuse the lore on the magic the gathering cards and then figure out how many dice you get to roll in D for it so um just click the easy button, right, guys? <laughs> okay, well, maybe you're thinking, hey, guys, this has been a great episode. Uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts on what may or may not be coming. Uh, there are two items on Kickstarter that I wanted to bring up. Uh, we kind of stopped doing the, like, what's on Kickstarter because there's a bajillion things on Kickstarter, and half of them, uh, their books from three years ago are still sitting in Chinese warehouses in containers that can't find a spot on a ship. But uh, two companies that I trust have projects up on Kickstarter right now that I wanted to promote for you. Uh, the first one is from Cobalt Press. It is called the Tome of Beast 3 Full Throttle Full Throttle 5th Edition Monster Mayhem. Um, and so it's got more than 400 monsters to surprise, delight, and horrify your players. Uh, you can, uh, in there, they've got a bunch of different like options, but the PDF pledge for just the book is $29 if they have a layers compendium uh, that goes with it. Uh, so that's just like expanded layers uh, like they have in Volo's Guide to Monsters. Uh, that's $45 to get the main PDF and the uh, layers uh, book. Um, they also have like full integration with like Fantasy Grounds, um, Roll20. Uh, uh, what are they? There's like the Forge uh, uh, Foundry VTT uh, Shard Tabletop. So, I mean, whatever you play digitally on, you can get that stuff for them. And then if you want the hardcover, it's $59. Um, but I say all this because Cobalt Press is probably the biggest producer of D&D content that isn't Wizards of the Coast. Um, I have both their Tome of Beast 1 and Tome of Beast 2. Um, and they are high-quality PDFs. I don't have the physical copies. Um, but if you're just looking for more monsters in your game, this is probably a pretty uh, pretty safe bet uh to get some and so skip uh you know Mordenkind's monsters of the multiverse and uh feel free to go and jump on uh jump on toma beast three uh good stuff in there um guys uh have you guys ever bought anything from cobalt press or uh have any have any interest in this 
I backed their Tome of Beasts two book uh, and did get a physical copy, and it turned it turned out pretty well. And oh, there were some very very evil things in there to throw at my party members that they did not appreciate, but I delighted in. Nice. Um, wow. Not sure if I really want to get the third book, but I think it's primarily because I'm running a little bit of out of, out of shelf space and. It's more of a, is there enough stuff in here that I'm actually wanting to use to warrant the cost? I understand that. I actually asked my wife the other day if I could uh, build another shelf and move all of my D&D stuff from like the spattering, not my minis, because that wouldn't fit, but move all the D&D books from where they are to a new shelf if I built a new shelf. Uh, and she said that I could, so uh, not as worried about it. But also, I'm down with just getting the digital versions of these. Like my my collector's brain no longer needs to have hard hard copies of everything. Um, another book uh that is out there, and uh, you just heard me like begging for pirates and bright happy things, is uh Sunken Isles from Eldermancy Games. Uh, and, uh, this is one where your party has 20 weeks to save the isles. It's based on a Hawaii-like, uh, archipelago of isles. There are pirates and undead and all sorts of other nasty things. And the adventure is designed that every week your party levels up. Um, there are also bad guys that level up with your parties. Uh, now this one's got like all the different types of things that you could add to things. There's like, you can get extra dice and dandies and miniatures and maps and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so that is what it is. But, uh, the core, the physical pledge is 55 bucks. That gets you the main book, the PDF and, uh, dice set. Or for $25, you can get the PDF of it. Um, so it seems neat. I really like the idea of like these aisles that are sinking into the ocean for some reason. And your party has to figure out what to do. Um, so that's just... It's another thing that's out there. Eldermancy is usually partnering with uh, Ghostfire Games to get their stuff out. And so... Um, They've got a lot of, uh, they've got, you know, a good ability to get things moving and stuff probably, probably, everything's probably in 2022, probably won't get trapped in, you know, a warehouse uh, on the other side of the world for a long time. Um, but again, just, it's another uh, Kickstarter company that I trust. And, uh, you know, uh, if you're, looking for a an adventure on the high seas or at least like around an archipelago of islands sinking into the sea something to check out that is uh sunken isles so okay. i wanted to highlight those two things all right um guys we're i'm working on the druid write up still that's going to be coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got Call of the Netherdeep coming out. 
in a couple of weeks. Uh, so uh, we've got some fun stuff planned here. I'm working on another kind of side project uh, within Monster Soundwave that won't be ready for months uh, at the pace that I'm going right now, but it's still fun. Uh, so for everybody out there listening, the best thing you can do for our show is share it with your friends, family, uh, anybody else who you think would enjoy uh, three guys talking about D&D in a really nerdy way. Um, Evan, Joe, any last comments for our listeners before we go? Uh, enjoy D&D. Yeah. Hope on uh, you roll high on all your ability checks. Indeed. Unless you're the DM, in which case I hope they roll low. All right, that does it for this episode of Monster Soundwave, an unofficial D&D podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, comment with uh, what you want to see before D&D uh, turns the corner in 2024. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our write-up on the Druid. Um, and then after that, with our first look at Call of the Netherdeep. Thanks so much, and have a great time playing D&D.